Today I'm with Alan Marsh, photographer, friend, living in Catford, and I have just cycled all the way from Southwest 18. It took me rather a long time. I'm very sorry, and <laughs> it took much longer than Google said it would take me, which was about an hour. And arriving at Tells Hill, I called you and thought, am I actually going to make it to you? So thank you for persevering. But worth the intrepid effort. <laughs> thank you. I have very sore legs, so thank you for making me a cup of coffee. This is the Travelling Through Podcast. I'm your host, Emma, and today I'm talking to Alan Marsh. After a lengthy cycle ride to Catford from southwest London, I am talking to him about photography, allotments, London, and everything else in between. So we're now settled in your kitchen, looking out at the garden. The sun is still sort of there. Wintry day, we're about to go down into lockdown number two, but it's so nice to be able to capture this moment before lockdown begins. Um, I was trying to remember the first time that we met Alan, and I think it was one of the exhibitions where Elizabeth Blanchet was showing her, her work, her prefabs. And it was you and your partner, Patricia, who's French. And so it's a nice sort of Anglo-French soiree, shall we say, with mm. lots of French and English people at that event. And your love for prefabs, mm. when did that begin? Well, actually, it is one of life's uh, conundrums. We, we actually moved down to Catford from SE1. And one of the things I remember Patricia talking about was that there's some interesting prefabs in the area that she'd heard about. And uh, it's called the Excalibur Estate. Mm. And it was quite famous or infamous, really, because it's probably one of the biggest, or was one of the biggest, in the country. And we discovered that Elizabeth, Elizabeth Blanchet, was doing a project where she was photographing it, and she was just catching the last few moments before it disappeared. So we were straight over there having a look and going to the uh, Prefab Museum that she'd set up. And it turned out that she was having an exhibition in, in SE1. So the whole thing was just totally related. <laughs> we were straight back to SE1, which is when we came to the bookshop. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a very small world, mm. really. So my recollection is we met her here and then came to the bookshop. I'm sure it was that way around rather than the other way around, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's my recollection. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. Might be wrong. Anything I say might be <laughs> technically wrong with this of even immediate, you know, recent past. <laughs> no worries. But it's very easy to, to become a blur, but um, what odd things happen? But it was through Elizabeth anyway. Yes, yeah, yeah. Great little exhibition, great project, fantastic. Yes. Great photographer. Yes, no, most, most definitely. And she's moved on to mm. doing more on that subject with English Heritage too. Mm. But I'm hoping to get her on the podcast show at some point. Um, but anyway, we're here to talk about your wonderful yep. photography. I was wondering initially your how you got into photography. Is it uh, something that you've all, always been interested uh, in from a, a young age? It's funny you should say that because I discovered photography at school. Yes. I was about, I can't remember, I was 16 or 17. And um, suddenly we had this teacher who set up a darkroom. And as soon as I was in the darkroom, I was, I just thought, wow, I just thought, this is so fantastic. And then we were given a, a choice of, of subjects to follow. And I remember looking, looking at the choice between physics, chemistry, or photography. Oh, really? And really, Which is a science, I suppose, in a way. It was considered as, well, it is a science, because yes. it's optics, it's chemistry, yes. but yes. it's so much else. But really, they put it in the same box, I just couldn't believe it. So that was me avoiding physics and chemistry from then onwards. Yes. Um, so just, just from there, really, literally. And actually, it was a very interesting school. I don't want to go on too much about schools and password, but it was a very interesting school because... We did all sorts of things. We learned to drive cars in the car park and all the rest of it in the in the playground. But um, 
we had one of the first O-level photographers in the country. They introduced it to the school in a few schools, oh, okay. and ours was one of the test schools. Really? So, oh, yeah. actually, I've got the original O-level uh, <laughs> paper. <laughs> oh, the, paper. the paper upstairs asking the questions. I found it recently oh, when I was going through some files. <laughs> and, and so it's really interesting that that should happen because it was just another push yeah. in that direction. Yes. So I was off photography. Okay, and at that stage, obviously, it was all areas of photography. At what point did you it find yourself? It was basically mucking around in chemicals. Was it? It yeah. was the smell of developer and fixer, and being yes. in the dark room was the attraction. Okay, and did you used to count one elephant, two elephants? One elephant, elephant two elephants. <laughs> Sometimes one hippopotamus, two hippopotami. I mean, <laughs> whatever would make it. What more could develop. you want? Yeah. So it was it was the dark room. The dark room was the attraction. It wasn't really at the time to do with taking photographs, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It was to do with developing and processing and the chemical side of things. Probably. Yes, and that whole side obviously has changed. Well, completely. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. Does it still exist? In it can do, can exist, it does exist, but limited because it's consuming. You've got to have space for a dark room. It, yeah. It's quite a big thing to have a room that's dedicated to processing and printing and stuff. Yeah. Yes. So I was wondering, with the photography, obviously you've spent a lot of time in the dark room and obviously it's now moved on to digital. But because of that, did the direction in which you took your photography and what your subjects became... Did that change? I guess in reality, the thing is what I've what I've always done since discovering um, and and coming to London, whatever, is that um, I've been working as a commercial photographer, and you, you just don't do that working as a commercial photographer anymore. Anyway, when it, when the digital explosion happened, yes. you just stopped taking pictures on film, let alone in black and white in a dark room. Right. I mean, obviously, people still do it. Of course, and people are discovering and rediscovering. But in a commercial sense, generally, you've just got to deliver in the quickest possible way and do as much as you can. Yes. yes. Uh, and actually, it, it's no longer film, it's, it's digital. Some people actually do deliver in what could be called an analogue route uh, and scan things and so on, but it's, it's, it's not a time-efficient uh, mm -hmm. thing. Yes, yes. It, it, it's a creative thing, you know. But con considering that... It was being in the dark room, the sort of the playing mm. with the chemicals, which drew you into photography, because it then went into digital. Did that ruin it for you? No, I guess the point is that I went off to art school and I carried on. I developed an interest in what I would call documentary, photo documentary. Uh, and so I was photographing whatever I could see, whatever I came across. Um, and I would say that I was being journalistic. I discovered mm. that what I wanted to do was be journalistic. Right photo documentary, black and white, photograph whatever was going on, process it and print it, and then do nothing with it because there was no Instagram and websites and whatever. So you would photograph something yes. and you would do nothing with it <laughs> apart from putting it in a book, a portfolio. Yes. yes. And, and actually, that's all, all you would do. What you have then is a, a situation where what do you do with stuff like that apart from encourage uh, the Sunday supplements or somebody else to commission you to do something for their use. Yeah, so you're just opening up one of the albums. Probably you don't call it an album, do you? Uh, it's what a portfolio. A portfolio of, of photographs, some of which go back to art school days and thereafter. A lot of them are to do with travel. They're all to do with people. Yeah. And actually yeah. this is an interesting thing where at some stage I completely changed from an interest in people yes. when I decided to just go and earn some money, to be honest. <laughs> so, so, so the change was a radical one. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, at one stage I was 
you know, I, I was following people. These might have been influenced by people like Cartier Bresson and um, traditional documentary photographers like Tony Ray Jones and so on. But really, it's something that is of its time. Mm -hmm. And did you have to take these portfolios in to have a meeting with somebody, show them and see whether anybody was interested? Mm -hmm. in no, really, when I came to London, the, uh, the actual reason for going to London was to head for the bright lights. Those were commercial, theoretically money-making right, um, right. decisions. But um, really, this was just the sort of thing you take around saying, this is who I am, this is what I do, mm -hmm. please give me a job as a, an assistant uh, in a commercial studio. Whoever you'd go to might find them interesting, might not find them interesting, but they would either hire you, but they would just see what you're about. I did actually show them to one or two agents, um, but really, it really is something which is not... It's actually, this, this at the time was the sort of thing of the Sunday supplements and Arts Council grants and stuff. Right. Okay. So, so I, I really didn't. I just. I really didn't take the arts council route, which actually I, I, I could well have done. You know, mm -hmm, I just mm -hmm. made a decision. Mm -hmm. right there Since then, I've been working as a commercial photographer, not as a creative photographer. But actually, while I've been doing that, I've been doing artistic things. You know, additionally on the side. But essentially, what I've been doing is not creative. Mm -hmm it's fulfilling whatever is required for whoever's doing the commissions, okay. which actually turned out to be in the studio, funnily enough. Yeah, and that happened when you came to London. Yeah, basically got a job pretty quickly working in a commercial studio and to a degree that meant doing still life. I later on discovered food for whatever reasons. But actually one of the things I do remember was that my original thought really was that photography was like being given a key to something or a passport to something and it was actually to do with it could get you places yeah because actually yeah. what happens is that you turn up somewhere and you think oh this is interesting and sometimes you could go somewhere i found and as long as you had a camera in your hand you had the perfect excuse to be there mm -hmm. you could legitimately say I'm, I'm taking photographs there were very few people doing it at the time let's face it yeah it was a whole palaver doing stuff so most people weren't yeah. generally doing it but it gave you the excuse to be somewhere, it's the excuse to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And all I could see was travel and glamour. <laughs> and did you, you know, really follow that? I did for a while, actually. You did, did I did you? for a while, yeah. After a few years, I got what I would describe as a dream job, mm. working for a couple of photographers. And one of the things they did, which I thought was pretty neat, was they had various clients. One of them was a hotel group. Mm -hmm. um, one was a holiday group and, and really it meant having to go places to take photographs of hotel rooms and resorts and sometimes what I found was I spent a few years just being here there and everywhere mm. and really I lost track of a lot of friends because they, they didn't know where I was all the time because <laughs> I was always going somewhere do you really? I didn't know that about no, you, Alan, no, this that is you're the thing. very well travelled. This is so. the thing, there's, there's a lot of things that you don't know about me, and that is one of them. And actually, I mean, I don't think anybody realises that I have travelled quite a lot, but at the same time, I can categorically say I haven't really travelled, because really, it's a bit like, um, you know, if you're in a band or something, you go somewhere and all you see is the hotel. Yes. And yes. that literally is what... What, what I, you were seeing. Yeah, that, that's literally what happened. So there is a an oddity to that you know I mean I remember going to places. I'm not going to go on too much about things that have been but really places like Abu Dhabi and Dubai mm. when there was nothing there apart from sand Wow! and they were building a hotel the Sheraton Hotel and I remember going to Dubai and they hadn't finished the hotel 
and we couldn't photograph <laughs> oh the, the outside of the hotel because it wasn't finished. We, we, we photographed the rooms that were made ready. Yes. But yeah. we were there before Dubai oh, really, really existed. This is 1970-something, uh, 79, maybe around yeah, 1979, 1980. But um, extraordinary stuff. And they didn't take you into the desert? Or... We, we, we actually went through the desert from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. Wow. And went past some amazing stuff. And photographed it? No, no, no. Do you no. regret? Or is it je in your head? Je ne regret rien. <laughs> of course But not. obviously it would have been a great opportunity, but it, it just wasn't what was happening. You no. know, I mean, you know, we, we were working, I was working, I had somebody else out to attend to and the rest of it, you know. So, but it was part of the excitement. We went to Stockholm and uh, we did the Sheraton there as well. And uh, it was extraordinary being there, you know, at uh, the time, uh, but didn't see much of the city. Yes. But the thing is that really these were exciting, and there's loads yes. of others, I'm not going to go on about them, you know. Yeah. But the thing is it's all part of what is, is possible realised, really. Mm-hmm. Mm. And now everyone's a photographer. Exactly, And yeah. the, the opportunity is not there in the same way. There are other opportunities. I mean, I guess they're, they're very different, but I think in a way... It's, it's just much more difficult, I would imagine, to, to embark on such things. Yes. Knowing what you know now, if you were embarking into photography at this moment in time, what would you do? Well, that's an interesting thing because nothing is so clear. I've always said if anybody, if somebody wants to do something, they should just do it. Yes. However they do it, whether it's write a book, whether it's take photographs, whether it's music, just somehow do it at whatever level you can. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second part of the equation has to be how do you get somebody else to pay you to carry on doing it yes, because yes. you can't do it on thin air. And I think that's the magic equation. How do you get the, the funds to pursue whatever it is you want to do? If it's straight commercial commissions, that's simple. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's something more complicated. I think life's much more complicated now, so you've got to unravel how it is that the existence makes sense. Yes. And sometimes I think it's not... I mean, I've done photography since the day I left school virtually mostly mm. uh, I've never made any money any other way and I mm. I've been consistent but I don't think it's quite so likely you could do that these days I think mm. you might have to share with other things at the same time yeah you know have a combine skill set. I think you have to combine other things I, I could have written as well as photographed but um, yeah it's more at difficult. the time photography was enough for you to yeah. to live a life yeah 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 at the time yeah at the time I was discouraged from doing it were you mm. because it As, wasn't the thing to yeah do. but I mean I, 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 w- I wouldn't necessarily encourage anybody else to do it and uh, and I would wait to see if they rise above that lack of encouragement <laughs> <laughs> because I think you have to yes and I think in a way you know I was dis- discouraged but I decided to ignore advice and, and carried on regardless mm-hmm so I would advise somebody to do that if they wish. If you know. they really, yes. <laughs> they've got to, their dream they've got they to really to. know that they want to do it. Yeah. I always think it's, it's not a question of a lot of people might say to themselves or say to me, I want to be a photographer. And actually, it's not to do with you wanting to be. It's actually, how do you stop it from happening? Because, it, because when you've got what is a vocation, mm. mm-hmm. it's not so much how do I do it. It's also, you know, how do I... S- how do I stop? Yeah, how do I deal with the fact that I, <laughs> it's unstoppable, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, yes, there, there is yeah, a difference yeah. there. And in some respects, I was actually thinking, leading up to this, that, that really, obviously, I've worked my entire life mm-hmm. uh, and, and still, still I'm doing this and that. But in some respects, there is a feeling that I haven't really ever worked because I've been on a vocational 
journey. journey yeah. and, and there is an element where, of course, it's been hard work, but it's not been work as such. Mm. And sometimes it's, you're just completely lost in whatever it is you're, you're dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. completely lost. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Hours so, and days go by. Yeah. Go by. Obviously, obviously, there have been times, and, and I'm doing something at the moment which I would say steps outside of that uh, <laughs> vocation to a degree. But um, yes, which you explained, which is yeah, a very technical job, yeah. a very technical. Well, something that's technically demanding, I would say. Yes. Yeah. However. Anyway, we will move on from that. Yes. Um, from school, um, it, it was just an, a natural progression that you went to college or university to it do wasn't quite no, no it wasn't quite no I was encouraged I think one of the things I would say in life is you can be encouraging be discouraged um, and I, I suppose one of the things is you various things happen with various people I think at the time I had parents saying don't do it and I had a girlfriend who said Alan my brother did it you should go and talk to him mm. and so I did mm-hmm. and he he pointed me towards uh, Medway College of Design, which is where I went to. But actually, she basically, thinking back, probably she was trying to get rid of me, but she, she basically set me <laughs> off and off I went and I never yeah. really saw her again. <laughs> but you have a lot to thank her for. I, I, would, I would like to, I, I'm always, I've actually seen her since uh, briefly, but um, I have uh, always meant to thank her, which, which I haven't really done. Yes, yes. And if I met her now, I probably would, you know. Yes. Wow. And so you finished at Medway College and from there, did the bright lights pull you in or did mm. you come back? I mean, where did, where did you go? Yeah, I was thinking about this because hard... I, was trying to, I was trying to think what happened and, and sometimes it's not very... I, I remember what happened was I went to... We're talking late 70s? Yeah, 1970. Came, came, ni- until 1976, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, what do I do now? And I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I remember going to France on the Vendange, on the grape picking, yes. I just went on my own to France with no no phone or anything. You didn't have mobile phones in those days. No. Uh, just disappeared for, I don't know how long, for the summer and met, met some very interesting people and then came back and went to live in a town next to Dover called Deal with some mates. So I remember being there. There's pictures in this, this photo here of Deal. Yeah, there were two there. Deal. Charming little oh seaside town. Charming wow. little um, But I remember thinking, what am I doing? And I was doing nothing, to be honest. And then suddenly I heard some mates were going to London and uh, picking out various jobs with photographers. So I thought, I suppose really I should go and do the same thing. So, so I did what you do at the time, which is, you know, you wait for mates to go and find a pad. And then <laughs> you turn up and sleep on their floor, which is, which is what happened. Yeah, yeah. So that lasted for a while. Until I got thrown out, uh, having stayed too long. I think, I mean, detouring from photography slightly, but I remember for a whole period where I, I spent time with no fixed abode at all. I didn't have a, a place to live. I just used to turn up in people's houses <laughs> and, and stay the night. And were you doing photography during the day? or what was uh, I used just... to do freelance from time to time, okay. uh, I remember. But anyway, eventually found a bit more stability. But I guess one of the things I've always done is house sat. And people have gone away and left me in their houses for months on end in some extraordinary places in London. Really? I've heard that you can end up in some amazing yeah, places. Yeah, I've yes. been in some amazing places. Yeah, derelict places, all, all kinds. And, um, yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, at one stage I was, I'm not going to dwell on too much on the background, and maybe we should move on in a bit, but okay. at one stage I was living in Baker Street mm. and walking to work in Soho. 
every morning, which is a great commute. Great That's commute. an amazing commute, isn't and it? And another time later on, I was living in Covent Garden mm-hmm. and walking to the studio in Old Street. Wow. Which is fantastic. That's lovely, isn't mm. it? Because of the industry that I was working in, which actually moved around London and I moved with it, I always felt that somehow I was at the centre of some sort of little universe because mm-hmm. I kept moving around that universe as it moved around London, right. which, is, which is quite because bizarre. both those areas were very arty and slightly edgy still then, weren't they? I mean, now it's become very touristy, particularly yep. Covent Garden. Yeah. So you, the appeal that you would attach to living there yeah. in the 70s, 80s would be really, really yeah. fascinating. To yeah, living guess, there now, I don't know, it would be just a different experience. Yeah, I guess Covent Garden, it was after the market had gone, the flower market had gone. But I definitely remember when I was working in Soho and there was talk about the fashion guys or, or some, some of the photographers had moved out. Because the commercial advertising photography, it had to be near to Sarches. Mm-hmm. It had to be near to Charlotte Street. You had to be able to walk to Charlotte Street. Right. Generally. Yeah. And Topper started to look for studios in Covent Garden after the market moved. Uh, so there's talk about it's too far. It's too far from where the work is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> which, which, if you think about it, is extraordinary mm. in terms of psychological change. You know that that should be considered as a distance. Yes. Yeah. And the same happened with Old Street. Because the fashion photographers started moving to Old Street mm-hmm. and then photography generally moved towards Old Street. And people were thinking, well, it's a long way away from where the centre is, where the action is. But of course, it was London broadening. Yes, yes. And of course, moving to Borough, to south of the river, was, you know, at the time, crossing that bridge, which Huge. was psychologically, you know, a big deal at the yes, time. Yeah. And it's impossible now to imagine that Waterloo and Borough was considered so over the river, so alien, so distant, so mm. difficult to go to the... And you set up your own mm. studio and yeah. set up by yourself behind Borough Market, was it? Borough High Street. Borough High Street. Frontline. And you were there for how long? 20 years. So you saw it really evolve and change mm. in, in 20 yeah. years to, yeah. to something that it certainly isn't today. Yeah, basically moved there, nobody really knew where Borough was. It was on the tube map, but nobody really seemed to know where Borough was. Obviously, some people did, but you know, generally, mm. people couldn't quite place it. Um, and it was just over the river, first stop after London Bridge. But it was considered a bit awkward. And actually, I did have people saying, Alan, what are you doing? You must be mad, you know, close friends. Really? Yeah. yeah. In fact, um, you were sitting on a gold mine, weren't you? Really? Well, yeah, <laughs> Eventually. But, but it was slightly to do with the building, which is a rambling, decrepit warehouse in an odd place. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, it's the only place I could afford. Right. And that, right. Uh, my message is, is in life is that people generally only go to places they can afford to yes. be in. Yes, yes. Whatever they desire. Yes. I think you know, I've always gone to places I can afford to be in, you know, wherever I might desire mm. to be. And in fact, now, I mean, that doesn't exist in terms of... I mean, maybe people can afford to, to live, but you need a lot of money to be able to afford to live in the centre now. But uh, yeah, um, I, maybe I think, to you it's relative, isn't it? Yeah, it was... I think so. I think living in the centre becomes more and more difficult. Obviously, buying somewhere in the centre becomes more and more impossible. Business rates, if you're in a commercial building, more and more dramatic. Mm-hmm. So everything in that respect uh, it would be against somebody doing the same sort of thing. Yeah. So you had your studio in, in Borough. But were you commissioned and then had to go to other places to photograph things or would you take the object or the objects 
to your studio? How, how did it work? Mm. I guess basically most of it went on there. And at the same time, I, I used to decamp and take a, a mobile studio. Uh, I used to do a lot of work for IPC magazines. And, and, and strangely enough, I used to have to load up a mobile studio's worth of equipment and take it to their situation mm-hmm. in Lower Marsh. Oh, know, did I, you? I mean, really, We're travelling through as well. That's right. Uh, and actually close proximity, but really it's just because what we were doing was food, all the stuff that they needed to do their food creation, they had it with them. So they would have had to have taken all their stuff to, to me otherwise, which wouldn't have made any sense. So, yeah. so it works both ways. So I was always able to take a working studio with me yes. in, in a vehicle. Yes. Actually, it's, all, it's something I've always done and I, I still might. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done some extraordinary complicated things by taking, you know, what is the semblance of a studio to a location. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about setting up in London, but why did you decide to go solo? traditionally what you do yeah um uh, was it easier as well not to the the, the well the route the route generally traditionally has been you you work for yourself as an assistant you move on generally what that means is you move on and you start to take work away from the people that you assisted oh yes <laughs> which is part of the the next generation thing you suddenly present yourself as younger fitter better value and so on and it's something that's always happened so i, th- I think really running a studio has always been expensive sharing a studio has always been a possibility in fact the first thing i did was i shared a studio did you mm-hmm. I, I, you know you don't start at the top you, no. you start sharing yeah, a studio. Yeah. so i remember the first studio i shared was fantastic in so much as it was three thousand square foot of warehouse at whopping oh my goodness on the river <laughs> fantastic it was so fantastic that it was kind of not very encouraging. It, when the phone rang, it was annoying because you'd be watching some fantastic thing going from the loading bay, you'd be watching some <laughs> some cutter go down the Thames or something. And actually, you know, one day we saw, I remember looking out and there, there seemed to be a submarine turret going down, you know, and I was thinking, well, what's going on there today? And actually outside of Wapping, it's actually Metropolitan Wharf at Wapping Wall, which is, which is a fairly famous building next door to the Prospect of Whitby. Yeah. And that's where, for some reason, they used to generally, they used to turn around. So you'd get a lot of shipping boats that would turn around right outside. So it's quite a spectacle. So yeah, I have to yeah. say, eventually, I moved from there. And one of the reasons I moved was because it was just too nice to be there. It was too distracting. Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. get any work done. It was really, but it was really interesting because it was yeah. full of people doing all sorts of things. You know, designers, photographers, design groups, uh, architects. And the studio that we had, we actually had an interconnecting door. We had two. I mean, I was just renting from some other guys, but we had two doors. One went through to the roadside. We were on the riverside. So that made it sort of 6,000 square foot of studio, which they eventually rented out, which is a, it was a huge it's space, massive. huge space, yeah. full of those old Victorian pillars, you know, yeah. which you could prop things up on. And it was so exciting. Um, but we had this interconnecting door at the studio with a, a lump of wood propped up against it and if you went and unpropped the lump of wood it opened up and took you into another studio which was empty and that studio I mean unless I'm mistaken used to be Derek Jarman's it used to be or or it was because we were in B2 Metropolitan Wharf so that might have been C uh, but 
there was definitely a period when Derek Jarman was there in Metropolitan Wharf. Well, right. as far as I yeah. remember. Yeah. Um, extraordinary. Did you, chat, did you get to chat to him? I've never spoken to him, no. no. I've been to his garden, but I've never... Yeah. No, the, the, he would have been, been and gone. Been oh, and he'd gone. been and gone. Been and okay. gone. Yeah. It's an empty there. studio by then. Okay. No, no, the, this would have been after the event. Yes. 1980s, he'd have, oh, yes, he'd have been and gone. Yes. He'd have been to Bankside. He, yeah, I'm not sure if he'd have been... Uh, I know he lived in the Chang, Chang Cross Road and he had the house in Dungeness, but um, mm-hmm. he was also moving around. It, it, fantastic buildings, lots of stuff going on, drag myself away. <laughs> and actually drag myself away to a studio in Lant Street. We are going down a long way down memory lane here. <laughs> okay, well, keep going. The thing is that I had some mates showing a studio in the old tea warehouse in Lant Street. Oh, gosh. Fantastic warehouse studio. Tim, the architect, is, is above it at the moment. Uh, stayed there for a while. But eventually, I found that I wanted a studio on my own. I wanted control. I wanted to be a control freak. I needed to not, <laughs> not deal with other people. Yes. Literally. So, yeah. off I went to Goswell Road. Okay. Set up a studio there. Right. Wow. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, travelling around London. I know. And, and, this and is the, the stories that... I've been travelling around London... Uh, and really, it is. I, I've lived in or worked in most directions of London. I'd say not so much west, but certainly I've been to yeah, all sorts of areas. Yeah. And now Catford. Now Catford. Now, if if you'd have been Alan Marsh in Dover in the nineties, you wouldn't really have been aiming for Catford. <laughs> <laughs> there but you go. I think what I've always found whether I've always wanted to do it or just happened to do it is I've always found that I've never gone to obvious places I've always actually done the opposite and that's probably not really a considered thing Mm. but I've always gone to places and then hopped off somewhere else and found other people discover them later yes I mean I mean Catford's become quite popular for well I mean it has or it might or who knows and it might never you know Mm. but I mean it's like in a way it's a question of I've never been interested in going somewhere because it's got great bars or something I find that a very odd thing where somebody would go somewhere because it's got a great bars or nightlife or whatever um as such because they're transitory and they might go they're never going to stay the same so I mean it doesn't seem sort of sensible but I'd say what there is in Catford is there's space and there's fresh air and there's enough stuff to get on with which we might explore in a little while if we've got time but the thing is that really I think what you do is you arrive and you discover stuff Mm. and in a way when I went to the studio in Borough I ended up going back to the area having experienced it from the Land Street days and when people were saying Alan what on earth are you doing I knew what I was doing because mm. I'd already done it previously yeah, in, yeah. in a share with, with some mates so I knew what yeah. Borough was all about yeah. I knew how easy it was to be south of the river and go anywhere you like by hopping over a bridge it just nobody else had worked it out mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. some reason yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, you were ahead of the head of the game, as it were. Yes. I, I just saw the the logic, really. Yes, and it's familiarity as well. Isn't yeah, it? So and basically, it was affordable. It was, it was cheap. Nobody really wanted to yes. be there. Quick question: Do you have a favourite photography style? I don't think so, really. I can I can think of lots of things I like and lots of people I like, and for lots of different reasons. No, I mean I know what I kind of generally be involved in, and I like stuff which is nothing to do with it, just because it's different. Sometimes I I find things that I might see a similarity in. I I find it's intriguing because I'm trying to work out how somebody else's brain is working and whether mm. it's working the same way. Yeah. In fact, sometimes I think you do realise that you are on the same track, right? Um, even though you might arrive at things by a different route. But sometimes I can be intrigued because things are completely different and I don't understand them. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I just think 
I like this because I don't know what is going on. Yes. You know, I'd say early days, it might have been Cartier Bresson or Martin Parr. And so if I remember Martin Parr doing this black and white documentary stuff way before he ever touched colour. So, so my interest in Martin Parr isn't what people know now. What do you mean by that, actually? Sorry. Well, I suppose really Martin Parr, people know Martin Parr generally for the colourful brash poppy, uh, the obvious Martin Parr story, yeah. but actually when I was at art school I had the opportunity to go and spend a residential course with him and Daniel Meadows and I spent a week with them along with a load of other people. Yeah. Martin Parr was completely different, he, he was yeah. long-haired, beard, yeah. at the end of a refectory table just looked like Jesus, it was <laughs> incredible. And he did the early black and white Hebden Bridge documentary stuff which was nothing like what he's known for now right um so it was very interesting when i saw yes. that change yeah, yeah so i find marty Parr particularly fascinating for that reason mm-hmm. got his book around of the early stuff a lot of people aren't quite aware of that early thing that he did yeah which he basically stopped doing now that there is a choice between using film roll or going digitally mm. um do you use both? And are there some instances where you want, whether you prefer to use one rather than the yeah. other? Yeah. Well, I mean, that is interesting because now we're talking about now and, and the future, really, because actually now and the future is always based on the past to a degree. But in a way, I had a, an element of reluctance to do this because I'm not, I'm not powering in a particular mode at the moment. But I am in transit because I'm, in a way, questioning what I'm doing at the moment or what I have been doing. I've, I've been doing, you know, digital stuff at the moment but actually I'm, I'm actually wrestling with changing completely what I'm doing okay. and actually going back to basics as in messing with some chemicals oh, really? and yeah. not having the digital root at the core but I haven't quite formulated which is why I'm not I, I don't have anything to promote or sell or I, I'm, I'm midway between between the two yeah yes. but actually the, the thing is I, I think part of it is a realization of you know what you do and what you've done and a, and a question but also a discovery and rediscovery and, and there's something which is telling me at the moment that I want to rediscover something which is actually not back to square one I don't want to set up a huge art room where but do something which is maybe chemical based and, and very yeah. simple I mean behind you you'll see a Polaroid on the shelf which I did a few weeks ago by the um oh, the, the yes. flower grader oh gosh yes yes you can, you can lift it up and okay. but actually I found some Polaroid and decided to just play around with it and really it was very exciting and what was so exciting it was really incredibly simple and quick and rewarding yes and instead of being sepia it's blue sepia is there a term for that uh, for that for the kind of blue yeah i guess it looks like a cyanotype it's but actually it looks like very old almost, yeah it, it looks sort of victorian yes. i mean the reason for the color is basically because it's a uh, Polaroid, which is out of date and it's kind of chemically changed. I can't remember the, the light, it was with the tungsten light, so it's strange. But there's obviously a scientific reason, it's a technical reason. But it's taken on the plate camera, but with a very old Victorian lens, a brass lens. So that was part of the movement in that direction. Yes. There's no digital there at all. Yeah. There's a result. So that's the thing that I'm excited by at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and is that easy to process? Yeah. Here with the kind of chemicals available today, is it much easier than yeah, before? Yeah, you just so. put it under your arm and pull it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very it is, simple. It is extremely simple. Yeah, which is actually the enthralling. Yeah, you know, course, why why yes. should it be complicated? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. actually, and actually, they are reinventing Polaroid and stuff at the moment. There are people that are 
making it. There are other things where one would need to go to more trouble. I mean, one of the things I did fairly recently was I did a course doing wet plate collodion, which is quite considered and using various chemicals is a bit involved but to me I found it really fascinating mm, I could show you one afterwards okay yeah. all right. well, thank you. it's really really an interesting process but I think that's probably going a bit too far somewhere in between at the moment what I'm considering is doing something where you put paper in the camera instead of film into the plate camera yes and you photograph it and then you process it so it's a positive image right. straight out the camera so there's no negative. So it's a bit like doing a Polaroid, but it, it'd be better in black and white. Yes, yeah. But it would just be positive paper out of the camera, which is what the pinhole guys do, the guys with the pinhole cameras. Okay. They yeah. put positive film in, they do the pinholes, and they process it. That's the sort of thing that I'm okay. thinking about doing something with. Change Not of direction, yeah. yes. Yeah. Because the exhibition that I went to see recently, of your, well, recently, it was probably a year ago now. Near I can tell you exactly where it was because I, I looked it up earlier. Oh, did you? I couldn't remember uh, uh, exactly where it was yeah. either. But that was a very interesting, for me, style because you were looking at decomposing flowers mm. and vegetables and also flowers and vegetables in ice. Yes. Creating most incredible colours as well. What gave you the influence or the the imagination to do? I guess that is in itself a big story and worthy of a, of a pod on its own. But I'll try and do it in a nutshell. I was invited to do an exhibition in Lille in northern France in a, a little gallery called La Plus Petite Galerie du Monde au Presque, the smallest gallery in the world almost. Oh, almost yeah. <laughs> and it is a treasure of a place, which is, if anybody's ever in Ruba, I'd say, I'd say go take a look. It's a okay. really interesting place. Not just photography, but all sorts of other stuff. Mad stuff. It's French. Anything happens. Yes. Anything happens. <laughs> in fact, when I did this exhibition, which we'll get onto in a minute, it really is, you have to, you're interrogated outside, you stand on a chair and you're, you have to, oh, you're goodness. interviewed on a chair. Really? And, and really, it's really quaint because, so Alan, what is this exhibition all about? And I had to deliver in French and I really have to say I do not speak French, but I concocted this thing, which is, moi, je, je ne, I do not understand what this is all about, but I'll try to explain, you know, because really at the time I was thinking, what is this all about? What have I done? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And actually, to be honest, I didn't know really what I'd done because it actually, I don't want to get too too bogged down and too whatever, but yeah. they invited me to do an exhibition in a gallery space, which is about, I don't know, a couple of thousand square foot. It's a lot of gallery space yes, yes. and invite somebody else. So that was what I was doing. I invited a friend, Robert Phillips. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we shared in a degree, but... Um, basically, the exhibition, I was, I was thinking, what, what on earth do I do? I've got to put this thing on. Fill this space, do something good, do something worthy. But at the same time, what was happening was that it'd been, it'd been postponed several times for various reasons. And in a way, I was a little bit reluctant. Were you? Yeah, I was, I was thinking, yeah, am I going to rise to this challenge? And I kept putting it off. But anyway, I was given one last chance mm -hmm. and a deadline, September. But start of the year, my mother started to get very old and frail and mm. went into a home and died. Oh. And, and I was dealing with all that as we were yeah, leading up to this planning for this exhibition and I was thinking what do I do I can't just do something superficial yeah and I was thinking like full of emotion and stuff and what I was already doing is there have always been and if I look around there's always been things lying around that are wilting and rotting and in the garden there's a few well <laughs> even in here there's some there look yes yeah. and you've got some dried flowers and so, so what happened is that I um I started thinking you've got to do something of some 
importance. And I was thinking, you know, life and death, something, you know, this is a life and death thing. And I realized that I was already photographing the wilty things. And I thought, this is something I have to build on because this is it. Yes. This yeah. is. And you it. hadn't realized. I hadn't realized. No, yeah. I hadn't realized. I'd done a few little things. And I started to really focus in on wilting flowers rotting fruit and some of it is very rotting you know yes. with mold on it and everything yes yeah um the listeners can see on your yeah on your website, I, th I think probably on the website there yeah. is a papaya with a, a mold on it which looks like a landscape of yeah. some kind it's quite <laughs> it's quite something i mean i did show them to patricia and, and she really didn't think it was of great interest you know she didn't she didn't give it much credit no she said oh no alan don't um but anyway so the exhibition i filled this room full of this stuff and uh, it was quite extraordinary because people I mean at the time I was thinking I'm not sure whether people would get this and I'm not sure whether I do but people really did and, did and somebody they, came yeah. to me and they said Alan this is very emotional yeah yes definitely and actually the thing is that apart from all that the the essence of it is really that I, I guess I did discover somebody else I mean we've always got might, there might be a satsuma or something lying around drying out because it didn't get eaten in the bowl or something. And really, I came across somebody else who had the same things lying around in their painter's studio in Lille. I said, what, what, are you, what are you doing collecting, you know, <laughs> old bits of fruit? That are... And she said, ah, oh, I collect it because it's beautiful. And I said, well, so do I. <laughs> and she showed me a book yeah. which explained everything for me. And it's the book, I've got it here somewhere, I can't find it at the moment, Wabi Sabi, the Japanese Wabi Sabi the beauty in imperfection, yeah. and suddenly it completely made sense to me. Yeah. What I'm looking at and what I think I've encouraged people to look at with that exhibition is to look again at things that they're either about to throw away or maybe they should have thrown away. Yeah. But actually look at it before you do. Because yes. yes. actually some of it is very interesting. And actually, as a result of it, people have taken a close look at things. I see people and they remark, you know, they say they've noticed this. And so the exhibition that you saw, which is in Peckham at ECAD Gallery. Yes, yes. The gallery has actually moved to a new position now, but recommend anybody to go there for... Puts it in the show Great photography, should have a link yes. for that. Yes. Great little thing going on down there. You caught what I would say was a bit of, in terms of volume and a bit of uh, a section of it. Mm -hmm. And... In it was, I think, a later development, which was... You did have some actually, of the rotting fruit, and actually, you also had dried... You've seen the ice stuff, so, so yeah, you've, been to, stuff. you've been to the new gallery, or...? I'm not sure which gallery ah. I went to. It was quite a modern-looking... Down the alleyway. I'm trying to recollect which one to see. But anyway, the, what I've done is I've gone on to developing uh, the composts, which is uh, something we might go and take a look at later. Okay. Um, but also frozen in time, which is wilting foliage and so on but actually frozen in ice frozen in time suspended yes and it's all to do with time passing the whole thing is to do with time time passing finding life and beauty in things that maybe you thought weren't yeah. worthy of another look yes uh, and, and so on so, so to me it's quite an interesting conundrum to be dealing in and I, I think really I'm still carrying on that vein to a degree, but I don't want to do the same old thing all the time. No. So really, it's all in progress. It's all transitory. Yeah. It's changing, yeah. not by the minute, but it, it's changing. You know? yeah. So next time, there'll be some sort of variation on that thought, Okay. that okay. continued thought. Okay. At the moment, uh, 
there's not really much chance of exhibiting. I'm not exhibiting all the time, but I exhibit sometimes, but there's not a lot of opportunity. I'm thinking that at the moment, the possibility of producing a book could be a sensible thing, a small self-published book, no big deal, but something which is some sort of punctuation, which is an artifact, which doesn't have the complications of uh, gallery environment and framing and all the rest of it, Mm. and is a completely different vehicle. I think really one has to work within one's capabilities, and at the moment a book is possible, a gallery probably isn't. Yeah. So you you cut your cloth. So I think that's a change of frame type thing uh, as well. Where do I take it from there? Ah. Uh, right. Okay. So, well, I mean, thank you for explaining that because that was really mm. interesting because also a lot of the objects that you photograph, everybody has seen at some point. Mm. And as you say, taking another look mm. and just putting that in a book, I think would be fascinating because it, it, it actually does make you stop and yeah. think. I've had people say, Alan, I, I didn't yeah. used to notice. Yes. And I'm aware that exhibiting is all about selling things and making money and, and all the rest of it. But the thing is, what I'm thinking is I'm not wanting to flog somebody something that they regret afterwards or something or whatever. But I, my thing about exhibitions and stuff is that I'm doing something. Mm. I'm showing it to you. Hopefully you're sharing the experience enough to get something out of it. Yes. You know? Yeah. If you want to buy an example of it, that's fantastic. And mm. if you want to be reminded of it every day, that's the ultimate. Um, and actually, that does uh, financially allow me to carry on doing it. When you buy a piece of work, same as a book, you're investing in the person who's doing the work, exactly. encouraging them and aiding them to carry on doing it. Mm-hmm. I guess these days, you've got the addition of crowdfunding and sourcing and whatever. So but investing in the maker of the work is what mm. it's all about, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. ultimately you want to. But apart from that, Mm-hmm. Look at these on the table here. We've got oh. a little selection. Oh yes, dried marigolds, yeah. French marigolds. They might actually be ones that you you originally gave me. Oh, could well I mean, be yes, because they're they're drying yeah. on, on my garden as so well. So broad beans and things, which yeah. actually they're functional. I'm collecting those for the seeds. But aren't they yeah. interesting? A broad bean yes. pod. It's also interesting to see how things dry and some shrivel up. Yep. Others maintain their colour. Mm. Others just totally fade, mm. don't they? So what's happening here is that these. I mean, they are interesting. They're interesting to look at. This slightly functional going on here because what we've got here is marigolds and we've got some bulbids but they're actually uh, I mean they're actually seeds so, yes. so so really what we've got here is seeds for next year's you've got the next generation planting. so there's <laughs> the a double cycle. you know there's, there's various and obviously this is a come on with a flower is it carnation uh, no it's one yeah. of the the trumpet flowers um, mm. but sure. really that's what it's about what we've got going on here is 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 the visual thing but the functional growing stuff yes uh, yeah fantastic mm. it's almost going back to basics isn't it as our ancestors did you know you yep. dry what's left over for next year because yep. next year is as, as is important to be thinking mm. about as the now and this mm. year that's where i mean we'll get onto allotment and sometimes the allotment thing is mm. to my mind potentially just as exciting you know do i mean okay well i mm. think why don't we just use this as a vehicle to move straight to the allotment story? we could do that we could because do that that's really very exciting because you hopefully we are going to go and visit your allotment I think after so. this is going to start to rain. Yeah. So you came to Catford mm. and did you come to Catford because you could get an allotment? No. No, allotments was the furthest thing. Was it from your mind? Not interested, it wasn't a focus at all. The reason for coming to Catford was because we needed to move somewhere which was within a sensible distance to work-orientated things and whatever. Mm -hmm. We had various limits for various reasons where that would be. 
Um, it was kind of interestingly at the end of the line of, of a, a search really and basically what we're in is a fairly big rambling house um, and that's partly because we came out of a fairly big rambling four-story warehouse right. and we had oh, to four stories we had to downsize yeah. from a big building you know yeah. I mean yeah. not massive but I mean it was like a pub but it was downsizing from a big warehouse Yes, so, to a house. So we needed space, we needed space, we wanted a garden, uh, we did consider a flat and the rest of it, but really we're in a house with no encumbrances, no leases, it's a freehold house. And it's in an area which is accessible. Mm-hmm. We want to go to Lille, the road starts here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and Lille is where Patricia's Patricia goes to Lille, yeah. So we can drive to Lille very easily. Yeah. So that's part of the logic. Uh, exciting because it's a bit front line. Yeah rough around the edges, various attractions at the time, Capital Constitutional Club, which is sadly, oh no, sadly gone. gone. Tragedy. I, I have to say, I will not be able to forgive Lewisham Council mm. for what happened yeah. to the Constitutional Club. Because wow. that was a lovely But as we're avoiding politics, I'll yes. leave that there. Yes, okay. um, we'll park that one. <laughs> yes, but... A terrible yes, loss. That is a, a terrible, terrible loss. A terrible I mean, loss. I only went there twice and I loved terrible it. Loss. That was one of the... For the community as well. Absolutely. Loss. And yeah. it was one of the attractions because it was one of the fantastic bright lights of the area. Mm. Um, extraordinary. Yeah. People won't realise what they missed. Anyway, yeah. and I think that really you do have space and uh, there are times in your life when that's what you want. Yes. I value space. And one of the things, having lived in Barrow High Street, lovely though it was... There is a point where it's too frenetic, mm. you know, with people all hours of the night outside the door, traffic, and really you need some tranquility. As you would have noticed, we're still here on a very busy main road. <laughs> but, but you can't hear it, can but, you? No, you can't hear yeah. it. So coming here, there was no problem about, I mean, in my mind anyway, no problem about a busy road because it's nothing as busy, nothing like as busy as Borough High Street yeah. was. Yeah. And I can handle a, a busy road. And in some respects, there's a lot of quiet side streets here. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Very lovely. I think they drive me nuts because they're so quiet and lovely. <laughs> they're too nice yeah. too lovely and quiet and um, I actually happen to know there's some lovely neighbours in them yes yeah. but I'd rather be on the main road <laughs> <laughs> you need some movement you, don't, you need tranquility think, but you need actually, noise and movement yeah but also one of the things going right back to leaving and coming to London is that you obviously leave somewhere to go somewhere and you go somewhere to yeah. change or to be whatever you want or yeah. do whatever you want to do so I've always had that attraction to not having people watching you do whatever you're doing, you know. Yeah. And actually, yeah. here there are no there are no neighbours really opposite, really as such. Right. I think having a uh, an element of privacy in a in a very busy place. Yes. Yeah. Which actually, you know, we had in Borough High Street. Mm. No, nobody, no neighbours in Borough High Street really. Mm. But not a lot of people, no less. Yeah, but passing yeah. all yeah, the passing. time. Yeah. So, the allotment. Yes. How did you come across it, or what, what was the what was the spark to? I guess the allotment. What, uh, the allotment what sowed the seed. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I guess really the thing is, I guess we had a friend who applied for one, mm-hmm. and uh, Patricia was inclined to uh, to do the same, and and so that was the original. Just yeah, 
I was adamant that it wasn't going to take up my time. Really? Yeah, because I, you know, it wasn't my... <laughs> it wasn't your thing. No. But I discovered it. And this is the interesting thing. Sometimes you have to be shown something before you discover it, before you realise it. Yeah. And I don't think you go through life always knowing what you do, you want to do, and then you do it. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you do it inadvertently or somebody else takes you there. That's very true. Yeah. So I think it's slightly a mistake to always think you decide things yeah. as such. Yeah. Well, you've still got to, I mean, you are still partially in control of being open enough to go and look, go mm. with an open mind and mm. actually then realise that, mm. oh, actually this is for me. Or... The thing about allotments is that they are so much, you know, they're everything encapsulated in terms of new things to learn, whether it's growing and seeding and reseeding, composting, it's a community. Yes. Yeah. Um, so a lot of stuff yeah. all in one yeah. thing and it, you don't realise until you, you really get involved in it. Lots to offer. So I've got more involved than I thought I might. Right. Mm. And what, what, what is it about the allotment that you like the most? What is it that draws you there? Do you go every day? I think there's something, it... not every day, but depending on the weather, you know, a couple of times a week, three times a week maybe. Yeah. It's just there's something that's enthralling about discovering what you're always discovering something, you yes, know, yeah. whether something's happening or not happening, why it is, why it isn't. Other people are telling you things, you're reading them. I mean, composting is a world in its own. Yeah. You know. Is it also nurturing? It's interesting because you, you're photographing flowers or beans at the end of their, their life or their life cycle mm. or their season cycle. Mm. And yet at the allotments, you're nurturing a, a new life mm. is, it, is it that you have that it completes the circle for you that you're seeing it through its whole life cycle as I think were? I mean yeah I think I think so and what I'm I guess what I'm interested in here is you know growing stuff and photographing it as well which has been done before but that's something that, that we, you know so actually the whole circle is fully full yeah I've been photographing the composts you know the compost heaps yeah you know, okay uh, some of which are on the website um, but the thing is that it is circular. I mean, the, although these items might be dead or wilting or, or dried, they're as alive as anything because they are the seeds or the seeds yep. are within them. Yes. And if you open a compost heap, a compost heap, although you filled it full of leftovers, whether it's fruit, vegetables, greenery or whatever, that compost heap will be alive yep. completely. Yes. Mm. Worms. Yep. Steam. Mm. So that, that's yes. what's extraordinary, you know. Yes. And it's true. We, I've never we, thought of it like that. But the other thing is that in terms of environmental, I mean, we don't throw any food waste away apart from, we might have a few, like I just burnt some toast and that's in the food waste bin and there might be some meat or items or, or stuff with oil on them or whatever, but anything vegetable mm -hmm, mm -hmm. goes to the compost heap. Brilliant. We're often putting the food waste bin out with virtually nothing in it. Yeah, yeah. We're composting coffee and tea and everything. Yes. <laughs> so no, actually, the thing is, if everybody did it, and everybody yeah, can, yeah. and actually, I would describe allotments as amazingly educational. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've just recently gone lectin-free and just eating ah, a lot of fresh ah, vegetables. And mm. also, initially, the local supermarkets, everything arrived in plastic. Mm. I, I can't do this anymore. Mm. So I've gone to a company that's now delivering organic, mm. or there's an organic farmer's market down there. Yes, it's, it is more expensive. Mm. But you're not eating so much and you're eating all of it. The quality is different. Mm. And now I'm noticing that the peels and things that I'm not or can't eat, I think, what do I do then? We don't have a food waste bin. I'm actually thinking you're getting a wormery. So you could either have a wormery or yeah. a compost 
bin is, is extremely simple, yeah. which will produce compost for potting next year or putting on the garden or whatever. No need to, to put it out. But yeah, wormery would be fantastic if you're going to use the results from yes. it. Yeah. You have a garden, which is great. But yeah. actually, if you haven't, you can have a kitchen compost or wormery if one oh, could. Can you you okay. can actually get them small enough to go in your kitchen. Right. Okay. You know, I mean, if you yes. haven't got an outside space. Some people yes. wouldn't want that, obviously. No. But obviously, you can do it. I can do it, yes. You no, know, and there is no excuse, and there's every reason. Definitely. I mean, yes. I, I mean, no better reason than now to, to start thinking differently. But I think, everybody should be thinking. I think the allotments are going to lead the way on a lot of levels. I can see schools which would, should, could, all have allotments on them. Yes. For yes, instance, yeah. I'm seeing developments where you could have a housing estate with an allotment, even here. You know, if there's a development here, you could imagine mm-hmm. this would be a brilliant area with the little bit of space that is yeah. to actually have developments with allotments attached or involved or on the roof. Yes, because in fact, you don't need that much space to start no. growing things. And actually, it doesn't need to be outside. No. It can be in the basement. If it's, you know, That's true. you can yes. do mushrooms, you can do yes. asparagus, yeah. you can have yeah. vertical on a wall, true. you can have on the roof, you can have, theoretically, you don't even need soil. That's true, yes, for some things. Hydroponics, Yeah. imagine. Mm. You know. so, so I think there's, there's a whole revolution attached to allotmenting, because allotmenting is traditional. I think it's going through and about to go through more of a revolution. I will, ex- I will explain. Yeah, go for it. Because I don't want to get too political. But uh, it's a movement that's been going on for 100 years. And actually, it is a movement that hasn't changed very much since the First World War. Mm-hmm. And it's a movement that needs to, for various reasons. One, land availability is, is one thing. An increased need, which might be temporary because of the situation we're in at the moment. But I think I can see that increased need carrying yeah. forward yeah. there are huge queues mm. for allotments you know almost everywhere yeah huge yeah. nobody's gonna be able to provide for them all unless you're quite adventurous about how you do it and i think the way you do it theoretically is you, you look at it slightly differently you yeah. don't look at empty fields you know especially in central london or, or the outskirts of london they're not going to be easy to come no. by so you can Look at it. That's yeah. true. You just made me think um, next to the festival hall, the, mm. uh, is it the parcel rooms? Mm. Mm. Above the, yeah. the garden. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. the case exactly. in point, isn't there it? There are people so. showing you how yeah. relatively easy. I mean, I went yeah. to Goldsmiths the other day to visit there, a little allotment. It's not very big. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Right. On the campus. Yeah. Why not? It's a case that we just all need to think. As you say, look look at it in a different way and yeah. say, well, what can I do with what I have rather than saying, mm. I don't have anything here, I need a field or I need... Mm. But in fact, the bigger space you have, it's hard work and mm. it's better to start off small and know what you're doing. Mm. And if you feel you need more space, mm. then... Mm. But um, I mean, for this lockdown, well, the first one, I grew beet root and mm. brought me some tomatoes very mm. kindly. Grew three carrots. Sort of, sort of, it's amazing. <laughs> I did 50 seeds. It's amazing what you can do in a little space. Yeah, so, yeah. and just really like learn from it and mm. grow from, mm. from from that. And um, and it's also very enjoyable and therapeutic. Mm. Mm. Can take up time. Definitely. Mm, but you have to allocate time, like anything. Yes, if you want it enough, you'll mm. find the time mm. when you give up something mm. or not waste time on other things. I find it's very easy to potter and waste mm. time rather than be a bit more time efficient. But I'm seeing it as an exciting thing for Definitely. future thing. I mean, for me, it's a realisation that what's 
possible there. Mm-hmm. And I can see that we're actually part of it. Mm-hmm. Or can be more so. Yes. And the irony is that it's always been there. Mm. And mm. there's been a community of allotment holders mm. for, for years. Mm. So, I mean, you think about this. One of the things that was slightly off-grid, I was thinking, what is what is food photography? I mean, mm. what, what is it? And in a way, it's it's part of a thing. Food is a lot of things and always has been. It's actually, I mean, obviously it's essential, but it's also fashionable food changes you know I mean obviously we're in a rarefied we were not in an existence level only but food changes in terms of being fashionable being a fad being a particular thing uh you know I can remember things like nouveau cuisine and so on in restaurants and so on and then you have organic and then you have vegan and whether organic and vegan turn out to be fashion or whether they are part of a revolution remains but there's something which is fashion or fad but there's also something about food which is definitely political and food Mm -hmm. is always political yes so the sort of stuff that i've always done photographically is transitory in so much as it's always been to do with either cookbooks uh food packaging right and and in some respects you know the way forward in the world is to reduce food packaging so Mm. you'd have less and less food photographers are required you know so so so, i mean really this is part of a landscape that one you have to look at yeah yeah um so much of what i've done will become less likely I'd have thought so there was a whole big thing around food photography which I've been always aware of but just in uh, and in a way I, I often thought about things like food wastage because you do waste food when you're photographing it and you but actually what what I've generally done uh, if it's been within my control is I, I've tried to redirect any leftover food items that might have been from a shoot to people who might be able to use it afterwards. And at some stages, even taking stuff to a city farm and stuff like that. Yeah, you know? yes. There's ways, yeah. yeah. yeah so, Thinking outside the box. Yeah, you so you don't ever throw stuff away yes. unless you have to. But potentially, like a lot of things, a wasteful industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about food photography and whether there will still be the interest in food photography as such. If you see on Instagram, everybody, every day is photographing their food. I think what I see is everybody is potentially an influencer and it's all part of the food influencer thing. So you're more likely to do food photography uh, for Instagram than you are for food packaging. So it's a complete shift. Mm. But that generally is, I mean, obviously, I mean, you have ads for burgers on Instagram instead of on a billboard so that that will never change and that will always be done in that particular way Uh, but obviously that's different to the Instagrammers who are showing what's been prepared for them whether it's a restaurant or so I'm talking about the sort of stuff which might have been more like model making than photographing food I mean if you're photographing a hamburger you're you're not not photographing a hamburger (laughs) you're making a model that's true you see you're making a model and because there are laws, it will involve the real stuff, but it won't be edible. You're, you're making a, a model of, of some food, um, as opposed to photographing something which is presented at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So those are all different things. Yes. Yeah. Ethically, that's quite interesting as well, isn't mm. it? Because the photography, you're actually taking a photograph of something that you know is not real. Yeah. But you're doing that for a magazine or to make it look mm. glossy or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Um, but do you actually enjoy taking photographs of food of your food not necessarily not particularly it's it's a vehicle it's actually for a purpose it's a technical thing you never look at your food and think oh god i'd really like to photograph that because that looks amazing no more than anybody else no 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 but actually food photography is just really delivering something that somebody else wants of something to make it look brilliant yeah in fact what i'm doing at this moment with this rotting fruit and wilting flowers is i'm doing the complete opposite actually i'm thinking i'm really 
pleased that this isn't going to have to look perfect because I don't particularly want that to be the priority, you know, because yeah. yeah. actually the, the work environment would always dictate that. Mm -hmm. So now, Freedom. completely, it's actually, it's rebellious, you know, I'm, I'm rebelling against what I've always... The know, artificial, yeah, to look at the yeah. real, yeah. Completely rebellious. Yeah. Now. On that note, mm. we're on the verge of another UK lockdown. Yeah. And I wonder whether creatively, the last one, did it feed your creativity or did you find it quite... Well, you see, this is the interesting thing where I would say it did feed my creativity, but not my photographic creativity. Right. Because what it did was, the last thing I wanted to do was be stuck in any studio environment. I wanted to spend as much time outside as possible. Yeah. And really, I'm not particularly interested in um, just photographing what I go out and see lying around. I might have done that in the past, but really now that's that's not what I want to do. So actually, the inspiration has been growing stuff and whatever, physically yeah. being out there and digging. And then, you know, they do say that the, the soil is good for you, the smell of soil and so on. But doing stuff uh, rather than photographing stuff. So it's not as mm -hmm. I'm not interested in photography, but it isn't where I'm being pushed at the moment, which doesn't mean that I've, I'm not doing it anymore. Or, or uh, It's just my excitement is beyond it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it still involves it. Yes. Uh, but it might evolve. Sometimes you need something else to then spark the creativity. So almost like yeah. just turning it around. Not walking away from it, but just putting it on the back burner as such. For this next lockdown, do you see yourself spending a lot of time at the allotment? Or I, I'm intending to spend time at the allotment. Even even over winter when there's not supposed to be a lot happening, there is stuff happening. Mm -hmm. I've just been planting garlic and onion. Oh, great. And winter lettuce. Right. And, and really, there's no reason for nothing to be happening. There's yeah. no reason whatsoever. Green manure. It's all happening. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, so you don't just put the wraps down. So, <laughs> so there's plenty. There's spring. plenty to do. There's <laughs> yes. plenty to do. Fantastic. But I guess really, uh, my big inspiration. I think. I mean, I, I was actually thinking, how does that link up with anything? And really, the answer I think is Derek Jarman. Okay. Because really, yes, I realised that yeah. I've been reading his books. I haven't read them for a while. Yeah. And they're the obvious ones, and they're not. But actually, I find that really. I've been to his garden several times. Have you? See, I've taken I people. Been, if you've not been, to go, got yes. to take you there yes. soon. I think before it disappears, or if it disappears, think but, it will disappear. Well, I know they were trying to sell it, uh, okay. and they saved it. But the thing is, it won't retain what it is in terms of the garden. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. he, he did the garden. It was taken over. I'm not sure what's left of it, to be honest. Right. I mean, everybody that goes there steals something. Oh, do they? Well, of course. You know, I mean. I haven't, I have to no. say, honestly, I haven't. But the thing is, it's there and it's open. There's no there's no fence around anything. If, you ever, if you've never been there... I know, uh, I've had a number of ditched attempts of getting there, so see, I, I maybe think, that will be my... I um, think he's an inspiration. Yeah, uh, post-lockdown. You know, uh, you know, for if you read his books about growing stuff in shingle and sand and salt sea air, mm -hmm. and he's just telling you you can grow stuff anywhere, you know... Fantastic. He has been an inspiration, uh, and the books are as well, all of them. Yes. You know, I haven't got all of them, but I mean, I've read enough of them. So that's an interesting cycle that your studio ended up being next yeah. to where he was at one point as well. Well, he's, he's obviously moved around a lot. Oh, yes. Mm. But the books and reading about him, did that come later, or had that already happened? I've got a vague recollection of the first thing I knew about Derek Jarman was somebody gave me one of his books, and I can't remember which one of them. And there were some that I've got two copies of for somehow, but uh, somebody gave me a book. I know who it was. I suddenly thought, wow, yeah, they knew, didn't they? So the connections are all there. Mm. Life is full of yes, life full is of full of them. Life yes. is full of. Uh, Sometimes you don't realise how connected. 
things. I often do, actually, or at least I'm not sure whether I do. Or I've got a friend who laughs because he says, "Alan, either you have a lot of coincidences, or you notice them when they are there." Yeah. But there's a lot of connections and coincidences that people don't notice, maybe, but yeah. they they're always happening. Yes.、Um, it's just a question of whether you do. <laughs> well. Any more on I photography? Think, I think any more on photography. Yes.、Yeah, so we're coming up for for Christmas,、mm. and obviously your thoughts on are not going down a photography path. I'm not. I'm not. Well, I'm not expecting. I'm not. I'm really not、um, looking at showing or, or selling as such. So there's not much of an environment to do that. There's not much of a gallery environment, and I'm not putting、no. things online. I don't. I don't want to sell things online particularly. But you have your website,、yeah. and you've got images on your website. So、yeah. if anybody, any of the listeners listening to this podcast, go to Alan Marsh. dot com.、Mm. Can、I'd、they say, just contact you and? Yeah. Everything is on there.、Uh, is is for sale? Is it? Or you would、uh, tell them if it was? Yeah. Not, not. Guess not. Not necessarily everything, but I guess the section I think is most interesting is the section on Wabi Sabi. Wabi Sabi. Yeah. Yes, which, which is, is what we were talking about. Which is what we're talking about.、Yes. I think that's probably the only thing worth looking at. I would say. Okay. All right. We'll direct <laughs> our listeners to the the Wabi、yeah. Sabi under they, projects. And, I think. And they can ask questions.、It. Yes. Well, again, on photography, one other question I have for you then is: for somebody starting out down this the, this journey or the path of photography, what piece of advice would you give them? I guess really, I would try to find out what their route in life is likely to be. I, I, I certainly wouldn't encourage somebody to pursue what, what I've done. Because, I mean, because I don't think it's really there as such anymore. Yes. Yeah.、Um, I, I certainly wouldn't imagine somebody setting up a studio of their own. Or I mean, it is possible to set up studios and, and to assist people. But I mean, you just got to really find your way and bang on doors and do whatever it is to to get to that. Yeah. I would say that really the best advice, if one wants to do commercial photography, is, is to go to the Association of Photographers. They should be able to help. I've always been involved with them and with education and stuff like that. And really,、mm-hmm. that will be the place to go.、Mm-hmm. If you were eighteen again,、mm-hmm. what advice would you give your eighteen-year-old self? Yeah. I would say, well, you see, if it was now. Mm. You know, I did think about this because I don't think the answer is necessarily to go to London. I think there are plenty of other places where there's great stuff happening, and I think it's probably going to be more the case. There are plenty of places. There's a lot of interesting things, possibilities. You know, in the regions in the north,、uh, I know some great stuff going on in Scotland. You know, Anywhere in, particularly in Scotland? No, but I mean, I, I have I have been involved with Scottish photographers and,、mm-hmm. and really through the AOP and. and Got a friend at the moment who's been a photographer, somewhat like I have been all his life, and and really it's not just a London thing. It's to do with life, money, quality of life, and actually the quality of life balance is probably better not in London, to be、mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's an equation that you have to make sense of. Yes. The the problem is thinking that it, everything happens in London, and it just doesn't. No.、Yeah. So I would say that London is not the only focus. If I was Alan in Dover. Either look across the channel,、yes. or you look you you look behind you, and there's London. Yeah, you know, I I would be inclined to look across the channel. You would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because really, I mean, obviously, there's the complications of the of the moment,、yes. as it were, not getting into politics. But really, with a grasp of French, really, it would be a fantastic thing to go to Arles to study photography. You know,、mm. if one could,、mm. in around Lille, you've got some fantastic colleges. Yeah, you know, if you could find yourself there. Even in Dunkirk, there's an art school which is fantastic. You know,、mm-hmm. which、uh, William Eggleston visited a while ago to do a lecture and, and something.、Yeah. So it's not to do with being disconnected. Go to France, Alan. 
Yes, what you would do, young self. Yes. But obviously, there's a, there's a, there are complications now. Yeah. I mean, apart yeah. from, I've never had a very good grasp of another language, I have to say. Mm. But one could and should. So I would say, um, think broader than just going to London. Yeah. In all honesty. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But but try to work out what it is that you're hoping to do. And actually, to be honest, I I didn't have any idea. So I follow the instinct is is really it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We've talked for. Quite a long time. I know. I think it's been really fascinating. I've learned so much about I'd say, I would say it's it's fascinating just to recollect some things, but yeah. my feeling is I'm really not sure whether it actually is going to come across sounding turgid and boring or not or whatever. But actually, <laughs> we'll, let them, we'll let the listeners it decide is for themselves. interesting to not only dig back and think what happened and why, but also to apply it to what will happen and why, because really I, I'm not wanting to. The thing is, I have got really excited when I <laughs> recollect some of the things that have happened Yes. And why and how. But equally, it only impacts on whatever else is going on, even at this moment. At the moment, God knows what's happening, but really, it's never been so enthralling. I mean, that's an interesting word. I, ha- I don't think I've heard any of Because really, <laughs> you're right. I've never been politically motivated in a big way. Yes. But I would say almost everybody is politicised now. Mm. Everybody is talking and thinking and everybody has a view we've been forced to. To me, that's extraordinary. Mm. Mm. Extraordinary. I mean, big time. Yes, yes. Mm. Alan, thank yes. you for being on the podcast. It's just been fascinating to have this discussion with you and talk photography, allotments, lockdown and everything else in between. And I'm looking forward to now coming with you to the said allotment. Let's go. And let's go and take a photograph there. Okay. <laughs> and to all you podcast listeners, thank you so much. I hope you've got some takeaways from the show and it's been inspiring for you. Tune in next week. There'll be another podcast coming up. It's alanmarsh.com. Check out his website. For now, take care and thanks for listening. Thank you.